I love it when people say, I'm glad that you're still here. <laughs> it's kind of like a couple of people in the lobby said, you look pretty good. <laughs> you know what that means, don't you? Like dot, dot, dot. <laughs> good morning to you. I am glad that you are here, and I'm delighted to be able to share the word with you. Pastor Dave is spending some time with his family this weekend, and uh, he asked if I, I would share, and it's always a privilege. And this is home, of course, for Carolyn and me, and we're so grateful in these years of our life to remain part of Cedar Mill Bible Church. We're here every Sunday that we can be here, and this is our church home. Dave is our pastor. Uh, we're, ju we're just grateful to God. And to, to us, it, that seems normal and right and good. And I just frankly love coming and listening to somebody else preach. And, and I only, we only come usually at the 11 o'clock hour. Um, so I told the people last hour, you know, if you don't see us, it's because we're sleeping in. Right? I've been here like 25 years early, early. So now we're sleeping in, having a little breakfast, come to church, go to lunch, go home. And don't worry about the problems. <laughs> but it's one of the privileges of my life to be good friends with Pastor Dave. And he has done something very special for us, for which I am very grateful. And I'm grateful to our pastor uh, for his welcome of us and his encouraging us to stay and to be involved in ministry, his participation with us. You know, he went to Nigeria with us a few months ago. And I know he showed you some pictures of that. I've got a bunch more. And if I ever have a chance when he's not here again, um, I will show them to you because they're good. Um, but I wanted to tell you, I just, I, I wanted to just sort of slip in, you know, he was a big hit in Nigeria. I don't know how to say it any other way. The people there just loved him, particularly the younger people. He's so outgoing, and, you know, and I tend to be kind of like shy. Let me go and study, you know. And he just like out greeting everybody, and he was with, and they, they just followed him around. He, he was a big hit there. So I hope that you will let him come again with us sometimes. Um, and I leave on Friday for Siberia. I'd love to take him to Siberia. <laughs> Actually, I have no idea what's going to happen in Siberia. I'm going to join Rich uh, Gardner in Moscow, and then we're flying four hours. Uh, to like the middle of Siberia where there is a gathering of pastors who have asked for encouragement and help and so we're going. I had to buy a whole bunch of new clothes, you know, because the places where I've been have been really, really hot. So I looked up the weather report in Krasnorsk, <laughs> or however you say that, and like the high is 7 <laughs> and the low is 24 below and I don't even know what that means. So anyway, pray for us that we returned and unfrozen condition. No. <laughs> By the grace of God, has been, it's been our privilege in these past four years to make a transition from preaching ministry here to a, to a ministry of encouraging and training, equipping pastors, particularly in places around the world where they have so little. And that is true. I'm discovering it more and more and more. So many places in the places where I've been. I've been in Nepal three times this year, in India, uh, let's see, in Ethiopia, and Nigeria, and, and every time I go to one of these places, I just discover again these incredible, precious servants of Christ who are laboring for Jesus out there in remote areas with practically no training or education. They're just 
serving Christ with what they know and what they have. And they know they're saved. They know the gospel. And that's about all they have. And they so love it when we just come to them and try to give them a little bit of equipment for teaching the word of God and shepherding people and, and, and encouragement. So that's what we do in these days of our life. We're part of your missionary family. And I, too, want to echo Gabby's words. I'm so grateful that you give to missions here. Uh, we couldn't do what we do. Uh, if you don't give, so we're grateful. So many times when I meet with these pastors, we gather with a group of 30 or 40 pastors, and some, like I was in uh, Nepal just two months ago, and we had 30 pastors gathered together in this little mud brick church building, and they came from all over. Several of them walked all day. Uh, all of them walked for hours to be there. One man walked for 17 hours, he said, to get there, to be for this training, because he'd never had anything like this. And they gathered together, and there's 170,000 people that live in that region, up in the mountains of Nepal, in little villages, and there were 30, 33 pastors there, which is a representation of most of the Christians in that area. When I stand in front of those kind of, that kind of group of people, I look at these people and I think, you are the people called by God to advance the kingdom of heaven in this place. And you have Jesus. You don't have very much else, but you have Jesus. And then I try to encourage them. And so many times I've opened the book of Joshua with them because I think of them like Joshua was brought to this place in time where they were to go in and conquer the land for the glory of God. And so I tell these pastors that you... You have been brought to this place now, and you may feel weak and unable in so many ways, but you have been given the responsibility before God to conquer the land for the kingdom of heaven. And they say, yes, now help us. And so I try to encourage them as much as possible. And I've come back again and again to the book of Joshua. So when Dave said, you can share anything you want, we're between series. So I thought, I want to open the book of Joshua with you. So I ask you, will you take your Bible and find the Old Testament book of Joshua? I think it's like the fifth or the sixth book in the Old Testament. Um, and if you have a pew Bible, it's page 171. And I just want to share something from that I see in the book of Joshua again and again that has really struck me and has reminded me of something that is crucial important. I want to talk to you today about remember. Remember. In order for us to sort of realize again what Josh, Joshua is all about, when, when you look at Joshua chapter 1, let me bring you up to speed to where Joshua 1 begins. <clears throat> you know the story of... God's people have been slaves in Egypt. God calls Moses and sends him to set the people free. You know, they, after all the plagues and, you know, the miracles and all things, they come out of Egypt. They cross over the Red Sea by a miracle. They go down to Mount Sinai. They receive the law of God, and then they, <clears throat> they head up toward the promised land where they're going to conquer. <clears throat> but the people are unwilling because they're fearful. And they're unwilling to go in, and so God pronounces a judgment. He says, all this generation that won't go in, you're going to die in the wilderness, except for two men. Remember who they are? Joshua and Caleb, yes. Because those men said, God is able. So now, 40 years later, this whole generation has passed away, and now the children of Israel are brought once more to the edge of the promised land, and God is now telling Joshua, Joshua, Moses is dead, now you lead the people. 
into the promised land. But God has brought them to a very interesting place. Instead of going right into the promised land from the wilderness, they head to the east and they come around the Dead Sea and they camp on the east side of the Jordan River, which right at this point, the Bible says, is at flood stage. It's roaring through there on its way to the Dead Sea. And here the children of Israel camped out for days looking at this river, knowing that the land they are to conquer is on the other side. And there are no bridges and there are no boats and how in the world do you get your animals and the children and the wagons and your soldiers and everybody across the river and they do not know what is going to happen. So God speaks to Joshua and he says, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the priests and I want you to tell the priests, I want you to take up the Ark of the Covenant. You remember that, the Ark of the Covenant? I want you to remember to take up the Ark of the Covenant, which is a representation of God and God's Word and the presence of Christ among them. Take up the Ark of the Covenant and walk right down into the water. Now, if you were one of the priests, how would you feel about that plan? You know, this strategy, we're just going to walk right into the water. But so they do. And this is part of Joshua's courage because God has told him, be strong and courageous, Joshua. So do this. So the priests take up the Ark of the Covenant. Everybody's watching. Right? And they walk right down into the, into the river, and as soon as their foot hits the water, the water stops flowing down and, start, and flows the rest of the way down to the Dead Sea, and it, and it stops somewhere upriver. And suddenly the ground starts drying, and the people go across the river. It says hurriedly. <laughs> while, the, while the priests are standing in the middle of the river for who knows how long, holding the Ark of the Covenant while all the people are crossing over. And then God says to Joshua, after all the people have crossed over and the people are still, the priests are still standing in the middle of the river, Joshua, God says to Joshua, Joshua, get 12 of your men and go back into the middle of the river, right where the priests are standing, and I want each of these 12 men to pick up a rock. And they are to put it on their shoulder and carry it over to the shore and put it down. And so God Joshua does that, the 12 men go out. And you can imagine, they pick up the biggest rock possible, and they carry these two boulders over, or 12 boulders over, and they put them in a big pile. And that's where we are now, Joshua chapter 4. We look at, at your Bible with me. I like it when you read your Bible as I read it, so follow along. It may be a little bit of a different translation, but it's clear enough. Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. The stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded, and they took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of Israel, of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. 
Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. A memorial. What does the word memorial mean? Simply, remember. Remember. I want to talk to you today about something that I think is crucially important for us as disciples of Christ. And if you are like me, you need to be reminded of this again. Peter wrote in 2 Peter, I'm, re I'm saying these words to stir up your memory, to remind you of the things that you ought to, be, ought to be stuck in your memory. God has a reason for us remembering things. Now, I don't know about you, maybe your memory is like mine. My, I, have, I have a bad memory. Ask my wife. Um, some people have good memories, mine is really bad. Um, but there are some things that I remember really clearly. I've forgotten a whole bunch of details, but I remember some things. And one of the realities that God is speaking to us about is that we have a tendency to forget. Particularly we have a tendency to forget because we're so wrapped up in so many things that are happening. It's natural and normal, it's life, and so we need to make a very determined effort to remember. And when we look back at the history of God's people and the history of our own life, we have a tendency to forget. In fact, there is truth in the Word of God, like Psalm 106 is like a history of failure to remember. It's God speaking to the children of Israel and saying things like, you did not remember God's many kindnesses. You soon forgot what God had done. You forgot the God who saved you. If you forget things like this, it has a result in our life. And if you remember the things that God wants us to remember, it, it also has a result in our, life, in our lives. We must understand the importance of remembering. And this is something that every one of us can do. This doesn't have a lot to do with how long you've been a Christian or how much you really understand or what kind of questions you still have. But you can remember. And God wants you to remember. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these many years. He's speaking to the children, saying, Remember, remember. The words of Moses and the words of Joshua. When you read Exodus and when you read Deuteronomy and when you read the book of Joshua, you will hear Moses and Joshua saying again and again, Remember, don't forget, remember, remember. My friends, remember. And a whole bunch of other things happen. Now, some of you might be a little ahead of me, and you say, well, wait a minute, doesn't the Bible also say you're supposed to forget what, lays be what is behind? Does it say that? Yeah, it actually does. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul actually wrote these words. You're familiar with them. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. So I'm telling you, remember, and Paul's telling you, forget. So which is right. So one of the things that we need to do when we see something like this in the Word of God where we say, well, this is true and this is true, and they seem to collide, one of the things it's really helpful is to look at the context. You know what context means? The verses before and after something that's taught in the Word of God. So what you do in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 and 14, is you look at the verses before this. And one of the things you discover is that Paul is writing about his history. 
He's saying, he's really defending himself, and he's saying, I was a Jew, I was a Pharisee, I, I, I obeyed the law, I was righteous in my own eyes, you know, I was good before God, and I depended upon those things for my rightness before God. Now, is there a problem with that? Oh, yes. And then he writes this in verse 7 of Philippians 3, Whatever things were gained to me, those things I depended upon, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now, this helps us actually understand how the Bible uses the word forgetting and remembering. When Paul writes forgetting what is behind, he's not saying I'm trying to forget all those things. He had just written them down for them. Are you following me here? So he's not saying, I'm trying to forget who I was as a Jew. He's saying, I don't depend upon those things for my rightness before God. I am laying them down, if you will. I'm forgetting what is behind, and I'm pressing on to know Christ and depend upon Christ and his righteousness. I have found another basis for rightness before God, and it's not in my religious practice and in all the things that I do and did and things that I used to have confidence in. So Paul is not saying, forget everything that happened in the past. He's saying, don't depend upon those things. Don't rely upon those things. So what I'm trying to say to you is that the Bible uses the word remember and forget in different ways than we tend to use them today. Let me explain it like this. When people say that we are Western people, that is, we live in the West and and most people who have a Western cultural background or worldview, we tend to intellectualize things. Have you noticed this? That, I mean, we're real cerebral, we're mental, you know, and, if, and we tend to intellectualize things and think of it that way. So when we hear the word remember, we're usually thinking of a memory. Uh, a memory that I remember or I don't remember or I have forgotten. And usually it's a, just a brief glimpse of something that really happened somewhere back in the past or it was somebody or something and it really doesn't affect me today. I remember or I forget and it really doesn't matter. The Bible, when it uses the word remember, uses it in a much deeper kind of way. When the Bible uses the word remember, almost every time it's the idea, remember this thing that happened to you that God was involved with and let it impact you today. Let it influence you today. Let it change you today. It's not just a mental glimpse of something. It's a remembering so that the reality of that can impact me today and influence me today and change me today. You following this? Um, it'd be something like if I say, Honey, I remember it's our anniversary today. So what are you fixing for dinner? Or, I say, Honey, I remember it's our anniversary today, and I love you more today than I ever have. And I went to Jared's. <laughs> and I brought you this sparkly gift. And I have big plans for tonight, and... Our future together. I know I'm getting myself in trouble for this illustration, but, <laughs> but you understand the difference between the two? One is a mental like glimpse of something, and the other one is, this impacts me today. Maybe for Thanksgiving, you sat around a table, you know, and everybody like, saw all the food. Wow, let's eat the food, you know. Now let's go watch football, right? 
And other people sat around the table and they saw all the food, you know, and the family and the friends, and they say, this is Thanksgiving. Let's talk about what we're thankful for while we eat, right? Oh, and by the way, when you are thankful, shouldn't you be thankful to someone or just generally thankful, right? You see how this is different? How one is sort of a mental, quick kind of a thing that doesn't impact me at all, and this one is something much deeper. This is the way that the Bible uses the word remember. In fact, the Bible talks many times about, I will remember you. And what does he mean by that? He means, I know who you are. I have plans for you. I'm committed to you. I am your God. I remember you. And sometimes in judgment, God says, I'm going to forget you because you have forgotten me. So the Bible uses the word forget and remember much deeper than we do. It's not just a mental thinking, not a glimpse of a memory somehow, not a transient quick kind of thought, a revisit of something, but something that influences us, something that impacts us now. This is the kind of remember that we need to do. And this is what I want to suggest to you, that this is, should be an important characteristic of our life. And I know for you it, it is, of course, and there are times when you remember something and you're so deeply impacted by it. And then there are other times when something that was so very important to you, you've sort of just forgotten and you have to kind of remember it again. The point of God saying remember is when a memory of something changes me today and into the future. It's something along the lines of forgetting God. The Bible says... God forgets our sin. Does it say that? It does, doesn't it? So let me ask you, does God really forget your sin? I mean, really, the almighty God, the omniscient one who never, who understands everything, knows everything, never forgets anything, does he forget your sin? Really? Truly? Or is that what the scholars call an anthropomorphism, which is giving God characteristics of humans? The Bible says that God takes our sin and puts it behind his back. That God takes our sin and dosses into the deepest sea. God forgets our sin. Does he really? No, it means that. What God does is he no longer allows my sin to influence him. He no longer looks at me as if I'm a sinner. What he does is he looks at Christ, whose blood has covered my sin, and he looks at me, and my sin no longer impacts him as a judge. But now I am set free in Christ. Do you see the difference? Is this okay? So if you want to know whether God really forgets anything or not, ask Dave. Okay, so, I got a couple more I want you to ask Dave, too, so, and that's why he gets the big bucks, so. or maybe not. So, why is remember so important? Let me suggest four things to you, okay? There are many things, but let me suggest these four. Why is remember so important? First of all, remembering places God in our minds, which is crucial for us. We're busy, distracted people, and one of the good things about being in church is suddenly you got to face God again. I hope you do, right? I mean, you're here to worship and study the Word of God and be with God's people. Suddenly, I mean, you haven't been thinking about God every moment all the time this week, so now we're, God is in our minds again. Remembering puts God in our minds and strengthens our faith and deepens our confidence in Him. This is the wonderful result in our lives about remembering and it's sort of a thing that you don't even anticipate. You just, by remembering, 
this happens to us. God becomes more fresh and clear and alive, and we see him better, and our faith is strengthened, and, and our confidence in him is deepened. Because this is the truth. Our faith is grounded in remembering. Our faith is grounded in remembering. Faith is not a leap in the dark. It was never a leap in the dark. Faith is grounded upon remembering the reality of who God is and what God has done and what God will do. Faith is grounded on facts. Yes, there are some uncertainties about it. There are some things we don't know and can't explain. There are mysteries and everything. But remembering is the thing that establishes faith. If your faith is weak, what do you do? You try to stir up your faith? I'm going to try to believe more. I need to believe more strongly than I do. What do you do? How do you strengthen your faith? You strengthen your faith by remembering. By remembering God, who he is, what he's done. What you know and believe about God. And I want to tell you, the more that you know and believe God, the more you've studied about God, the more you, you grasp God and the more you remember who he is and what he's done, your faith will grow and it will impact you deeply in the present and in the future. Remembering is that thing that says to us, God does act and God does work and God does things. He has done them, he is doing them now, and he will do them again. He was almighty then, he is almighty now, and he will be almighty forever. Remembering is that thing that connects the past with the present and the future. And God wants us to live like this. We are not creatures of the moment, and we're not creatures of the past, and we're not really creatures of the future. We are, we are in this flow of reality, if you will, and we have a past, present, and an eternal future. And God wants us to remember because this is what establishes us. This is what helps us to connect what happened in the past with what's happening in the present and what will happen in the future. It is remembering that helps us to live not by sight, but by faith. Every single one of us in this room are living in the now, and you have like stuff happening in your life, things that you see and you feel and you know and you're uncertain about, and, and you can be dominated by those things. And many of us are, and all of us have been, and we struggle with this. And what is that? That's living by sight. It's living by what you see and what you think and what you believe and what other people tell you and what the world is saying and, and the problems that you see. And after a while, they become like a crushing load for us. And God says, don't walk by sight, walk by faith. What is walking by faith? It's remembering. It's remembering God, who he is, what he has done, what he is capable of doing. It's putting God back into our minds and remembering God again. Remembering is what battles and overcomes fear in our life. Every one of us are fearful in some way. We may or may not admit it, but we got things that we say, I'm not afraid, I'm just concerned. You know? <laughs> There's fear in our lives. We're not, we don't know what's going to happen. You, you, I mean, the Bible says, beware of ever saying, I got this all figured out. Remember the sermon not too long ago? That you're going to go into this place and you're going to buy and sell and be careful here, right? You don't know what's going to happen. Remembering God's faithfulness is what battles fear because what happens when you remember, you remember that God was there and you remember that God is able 
And I must not let fear of uncertainty overcome my present and my future. I must not fall into the trap of trying to look deep within myself to over, find the strength to overcome fear. I mean, that's one of the biggest lies ever. You got what you need, just look deep inside of you. Not so much. What do you do? You remember God. You remember God. You remember you have a father. You remember. Do you remember? You have a father. And he is great. You remember, my friends. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 17 to 19, Moses stood before the people, before they're going to go into the promised land, and he said these things to them. You say, you may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm in which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. What's that about? That's about Moses saying God did it. He did it in miraculous ways. He was powerfully there. He brought you out by his strong hand. So what? So remember. Remember. And what? Believe now for the challenge that you are about to face. The things that you fear, don't be afraid of them because what? Because God was there and God is here. So what do you do when you're afraid? We can let fear just overcome us. Or we can say, I remember God. And as soon as you say that, some other things will begin trickling into your mind and your understanding. We remember what God has done in the past. Though many other things are changing in our life, we remember what God has done in the past. And we remember that God is now here in the present and that God's plans remain the same. That God has a plan and he's working out his plan. I've always been fascinated by the way the, the book of Joshua begins. In Joshua chapter 1 or verse 1 and 2, the book of Joshua begins with these words. Moses is dead. No, seriously, Moses is dead. Moses is really dead. Moses is dead, Joshua. Moses is dead. So now you lead the people. Now, if you were Joshua... What would you think about that, right? I mean, Moses was the great deliverer. Moses is the one who parted the Red Sea with his staff. Moses is the one who called down plagues from heaven. Moses is the one who struck the rock and water came out. Moses is the one who stood face to face with God. Moses is the one who went up the mountain and, and got the law from God. Moses is the man, and now he's dead. And now, Joshua, you lead the people. Why? Because the plan of God has not changed. We had a hiccup for a while, but the plan of God has not changed. We're going to conquer this land. Moses is dead. Joshua, you're the man. You see, God is saying things like that to you. Even some of the big people in your life who are not in control of your circumstances, but now it's you. Now it's you and God. What will you remember? What will you do now that you are the man? You are the woman. You remember that God is still able. What he did then, he can do now. 
And if he overcame past difficulties and failures, see, they had great failures in their life. I mean, look around at the children of Israel. Almost all of their parents had died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. And now they are looking at conquering this land, and they're still giants there. They know their own weakness. They don't know what's going to happen. How are we going to do this? So they remember. Remember what God did. And now remember the pile of rocks. Remember what God did to see us through it? Every miracle of God is evidence for my faith. Every single thing that God has done in my life is evidence for my faith and my confidence in him. Our only struggle is we just forget this stuff. The second thing I want to say to you is remembering encourages us not to despair about our weakness. So many times our own weakness, and we're all weak, so many times our weakness overcomes us. How do you fight against the thought that, that occurs in your mind, I just can't do this. It's too hard for me. I can't do it. I can't. How many times have you said that to yourself? How many times has it been whispered to you, you can't do it. It's too hard for you. Some of the things that God has told you, you can't do it. You can't do that. You can't do that. I mean, that's foolish. I mean, religious nuts do that. You can't do that. I can't. I could never do that. I just can't do it. That's why God told Joshua, pick up the rocks and then pile them there and look at them. Look at them. Look at the pile of rocks. God always did this, by the way. No big monuments, no carvings, just rocks. Every time he did an altar, just rocks because he didn't want people worshiping, you know, intricate kind of things. He just, just rocks. So what about these rocks? What do you know about these rocks? Twelve rocks piled here on the shore. What do you know about them? They were underwater. Right? They were under the water. The water was flowing over the top of them. It's like, hello? You know? So what do we know about that? God did something incredible here. I mean, how can you get 12 big boulders out of the middle of a river unless God stops the water? What is it? It's a vivid thing to remember. Remember. What if the call to remember is really painful? Some of you are thinking that. You think, you're saying, telling me to remember, but a lot of my memories are very painful kind of things. It's interesting to me, the Bible never says, remember all the bad stuff. Remember all the people hurt you. Remember all the painful circumstances. What the Bible says, emphasis of the Bible is, remember God. Remember the God who was with you through all of that painful things. He never left you, never deserted. Even when you cried out, where are you, God? He was right there all the time. This is the God who saw you through it and brought you up to this place and this time. We are not called to remember people and events primarily. We're primarily called to remember God who works in the lives of people. The focus is on remember God. And remember the God who has given you good gifts. That even though you might be in this place right now and, the, and some painful circumstances are bigger than the, the gifts that God has given to you, you feel the pain more than you feel the gifts. What God is calling you to do is remember, remember what I've done for you? Do, a, do that, old, that old song. You remember that old song, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One? I used to sing that, and I never did it. Yeah. Right? 
I know some people who did, though. They actually wrote them down. And when they showed them to me, I was amazed. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. It will surprise you what the Lord has done. Third thing, remembering causes us to thank God and praise him again. Remembering is at the root of praise and worship. It's one of the things that I think I've stumbled on. I don't know, maybe you have or not. Five times in the book of Deuteronomy, God reminds the people, you were slaves in Egypt. 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 When God does repetition, it's always for a reason. Why do you think he's pounding into their minds, you were slaves in Egypt? What's the, what's the point of that? He wants to remind them who they were, where they were, what their life was like. He, wants, he doesn't want them to dwell there, right? He doesn't want them to only think about that. He just wants them to remember that, that that's where you were. Now look where you are and what God has done. Remember how God brought you out of slavery. You were in a place of helplessness and hopelessness. What about you? Can you remember a time when you were hopeless and helpless and things were dark and you didn't know what life was like and you didn't even know if you even wanted to live or all the things you were grasping for were just like empty you ever been in that place where you were slaves what do we do we remember we remember and then we remember what god has done and this is the basis for praise this is why we sing. This is why we sing, praise God. We say, praise God. My friends, God is to be praised for a reason. Did you hear that? God is to be praised for a reason. There is no place that I can find in the Word of God where you're just supposed to go praise you, praise you, praise you, praise you, praise you. What we're supposed to do is we're supposed to praise God for a reason who He is, what He has done. Uh, like Psalm 52, 9, where David says, For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. The best worship comes out of remembering. The best praise and thanksgiving comes out of remembering. It's not just saying words. It's remembering God. It's placing God one more time in my mind and remembering who he is and what he did. And then praising him for it. What do you do? Do you remember what he's done for you? Do you remember some of what he's done for you? Just a few things? Could you write a handful of things that you know God has done for you? Clearly, God has done for you. He reached down out of heaven, and by his mercy and his grace, by his power, he did this, and he did that, and he did that, and he did that, and he did that. I know, I remember God-glorifying praise has a reason. Every time, God-glorifying praise has a reason. Every time you open the scripture and you see the word of the psalmist or anyone else giving praise to God, just look around for the context and you will see again that God, that he is to be praised because of this and because of that and because of that, almost always because of who he is and what he's done and then what he is going to do also. And so we praise him. Psalm 103 is a great model, in my mind, for praising God for a reason. Remember this? 
Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Forget not all his benefits. I like that word. He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things. He is praising God for a reason. His soul is moved by remembering God. And God is calling us to do the same. Fourth thing is this. Remembering enables us to speak of God to other people. I don't know about you, but as soon as the preacher or anybody else start talking about a testimony or a witness or evangelism, uh, I start going, you know. I know some people who, who you are know, sitting right here who are thinking, well, you're going to start talking about evangelism and, you know, and, and witness. Okay, finally, you're getting around to it. All right, you know, because you're gifted as an evangelist. But there's some of the rest of us who are like not gifted in evangelism. And I'm guilty of this, but I know that I've been part of sort of training God's people to think of evangelism and witness and testimony, using those words, you know, as this is some kind of, I have to come up with this package presentation, right? It's good if it starts with the same letter or something or a booklet or something, some kind of package presentation that I can give to other, share with other people to persuade them that they need Jesus, and that's witness. But that's not really the meaning of witness, is it? Nothing wrong with that. A lot of people have come to Christ through that. It's great. But primarily... Our witness and our testimony is what we remember of what God has done for us. Are you following me here? So, if you could do that, just write down five things that God has done for you. Remember those kind of things. This, this is your testimony. This is your witness. And nobody will debate you on those things. They will say, whoa, really? God did that for you? You know and after you make a list of it, you'll start adding more and more things. And this becomes your testimony. And this becomes a natural, normal, like authentic way to share the truth because you're simply remembering what it is that God has done for you. You're not taking something from somebody else. You know, it's, it's stuff that you have lived. What has, what has God done for you? Has he done anything for you? Has he? Huh? That's what you say when you're a really articulate preacher. Huh? Has he? Has he? He has, hasn't he? And the more you think about it, the more you'll come up with, right? All you need to do is remember. Remember. So what are we to remember? Let me suggest a few things quickly here. There are many things, but a few things to me seem crucial. Remember the reality of God. Hebrews 11, 6 is always fascinating. The one who comes to God must believe that he is. Huh? Why would you come to God if you don't believe he is? Because the first thing you need to do is remember that God is, that he exists, and that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him, his, his existence and his character. Remember he is and he rewards. Remember the works of God. Remember who he is and his character and what he's done. Remember something of who you were and what you were. And remember something of what God has done to bring you and change you out of that. What has God done to change some of your life? You don't have to remember everything, but you remember something. Have you seen the grace of God in your life? Has he given you stuff you didn't deserve? 
Has he withheld stuff that you did deserve? That's mercy. Right? He had any mercy? Had any grace? Oh, sure you have. Has he guided you? Has he provided for you? Even though you got a lot of problems? You got enough to eat? You doing okay? Seriously? Remember his promises. Remember his good plan for your future. Remember his faithfulness to you. Remember his amazing love. Okay, let's practice. This is the time, you know, the last thing we do together is we take communion, and as soon as somebody says communion, we fold up our Bible and we stop thinking. Um, so I want to ask you to do something a little different. Dave is gone, so he said I can do anything I want. So we're going to try something, okay? And this is a little different, all right? So, but I think it'll be okay, so trust me, all right? So we see again the bread and the cup is up here. And we often, we just come forward and we take the bread and the cup and we go back and we, at the table or chairs and we eat it ourselves, or we wait. I'd like you to come up in a moment, come and take the bread and cup and return to your, to your pew and sit down and hold them together and wait for a few moments. Do you remember what Jesus said when he began this thing that we call the Lord's Supper and Communion? This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Interesting, isn't it? Remembrance, huh? We don't ever use that word, remembrance. What does it mean? Remember me. Remember me. Do this to remember me. Not just what I do. Do it to remember me. What does that mean? What do you think the disciples did? That first night when they're gathered around the table and Jesus is doing this breaking the bread and here's the cup and he said, this is my body, this is my blood and he told them, do you think they understood what was going on? I don't think so. They didn't know the cross was coming. They didn't know about his body being perfect and his blood being the sufficient sacrifice and the fulfillment and the Lamb of God. They didn't know all that. Later they knew about it because the Holy Spirit came. But let me ask you this. When they later understood much of what he meant on that night, what do you think they did when they took the Lord's Supper? Do you think that they like attached it to the end of a worship service and it was like this brief religious ritual that we do and it just sort of doesn't even trip your mind up very much? You think? They certainly remembered his body and his blood. Every time they saw a table and they saw the bread and the cup, surely they remembered. And now they understand what it's about. But they remembered him. And that's what I want you to do now in this communion. I want you to struggle some mentally. This is a time for you to love God with all of your mind. Okay with that? So I want you to apply your mind to the love of God and I want you at this communion time to remember him. And I've been thinking, how can we do this? And the way that I think we can do it is for you just to get up in a moment and come forward and take the bread and the cup and return to your seat and hold it for a few minutes. And let me, let me share some things with you, some suggestions to your mind for you to remember about Jesus. And... 
resist this thing. I don't know about you, but every time we do this come forward thing, I'm thinking about the people sitting down the row and, okay, how do we get out here? And, okay, now we stand in line. And, oh, there are some people I haven't seen for a while. You know, we come up. I get involved in the whole logistics of the thing, you know, like how we're going to do this, and now we've got to wait for the other people to get back in the row. Resist this, okay? And just flow, all right? Just come up and take the bread and the cup and, and listen and remember. Can you do that? Yep. Let's try it. The tables are open. Come and take the bread and the cup. Remember him. Not just his body and his blood, but remember him. Do you remember how humble he was? You remember the way he came, the way he was born? In a manger, his humility, his willingness to humble himself and become like us and to humble himself even further to die a death on a cross. Do you remember his amazing teaching? Have you read it? He was so wise, brilliant. Do you remember his love for people? Oh, how he loved people. Do you remember his great patience? Do you remember his compassion for people who suffered? Every time he saw one hurting, he moved to meet their need. Do you remember him weeping? Weeping in sympathy for people's pain? Weeping for people who would reject him? Do you remember the great sorrow that he experienced because he was rejected? You remember how he accepted sinners? He was quite willing to sit with sinners and eat with them and laugh with them and be with them. You remember his passion to rescue people? You remember how he would walk for miles and miles, days and days, to tell people about his Father in heaven? Do you remember his love for children? Oh, how he loved children. Do you remember his desire to help those who were looked down upon, his elevation of women and servants? Do you remember his promise to come again? Oh, he said, I'm coming again, I'm coming again. Do you remember his assurance that you will see his face, that this world is not the end, it's only the beginning? Remember him telling you that you will live in his glory. You will see the face of God and you will be with him forever. Do you remember how sin was laid upon him? His holy, pure, sinless heart. Nearly crushed. Do you remember that though he was rejected by everyone, he still gave his life for us? Do you remember his suffering? Oh, do you remember his suffering? Do you remember that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Do you remember that he was laid in the tomb? He was dead. And he overcame sin and death and rose victorious. 
and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Do you remember when he said, let the little children come to me, such as the kingdom of heaven. Do you remember when he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. Do you remember when he said, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, ever, ever. Do you remember when he said, I will come again and take you to be with me so that you can be with me where I am? Do you remember him saying, as the Father has loved me, so I love you? Do you remember him asking, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you? Do you love me? Do you remember him saying, this is my body, which is for you. It's for you. It's for you. His body is for you. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread together. Remember when he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. In remembrance of me, let's drink the cup. So now, Father, we ask you. We're still the same people as people who walked in here a while ago and we're walking back out to our lives. So many things, so many responsibilities, so many demands, so much. And we ask you, by the power of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, will you today and this week help us to remember? Simply will you help us to remember. Amen.